So we're continuing in Ephesians chapter 1, and I will remind you today for the last time, for the last time in nine weeks now, that uh, nine Sundays, that uh, there's a 202-word-long run-on sentence. It's an amazing sentence penned by Paul, and we've been working our way through it, and it all comes under the heading of the first part of that sentence, which is Ephesians 1.3. So let's look at it again. I've read it every week. We're going to read it again one more time, and then we'll leave it behind next week. And it reads, Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't even want to leave that verse. Maybe I should just keep reading that verse throughout the whole book of Ephesians. I won't do that. It's such a rich verse. And what Paul's after here is he wants us to share in what's in his heart. He wants us to understand and feel and utter this same blessed. He wants you living in a place where you're able to say, on any given day, you're able to say, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why you can say that, because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. There are no better blessings than spiritual blessings. He has blessed us with every one of them, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not just earthly blessings, but heavenly spiritual blessings. And then Paul gives us a list of seven, as I count it, as I break it down, And today we're on number seven. I've been reading you the whole list every week. I'm not going to do that today. It takes too much time. You might zone out anyway. So I'm just going to go straight to the one we're looking for today. Here's number seven. Here's how I'll state it, and then, then we'll read the verses it comes from. Blessing, spiritual blessing number seven that he wants us to reckon on so we can live blessing God is this. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance. So if I do my job right today, you ought to end this sermon saying, ah, I can really bless God because I understand this spiritual blessing. I understand what an amazing spiritual blessing it is in Christ to be sealed with his Holy Spirit and have a guaranteed inheritance. That's what this is supposed to do for you. Let's look at the verses now, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in whom you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So look at the part where it says you were sealed. We're going to talk about that today. And look a little later at the part where he says, it's the promised Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And a little farther down still, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? We're going to talk about that today. And a little farther still at the very end of it all, and it's all to the praise of his glory. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. So you're sealed. It's the promised Spirit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance, and it's all to the praise of his glory. That's what we're talking about today. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, being sealed by the Holy Spirit is an important matter. It's important enough that Paul brings it up four times in his letters. 
I want you to see the other three just so you feel the cumulative weight, the cumulative effect of them all when you realize this is a big thing. It got mentioned four times. It got explained four times. So we see it also later in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there he mentions it again. The Holy Spirit, you're sealed by him. So the seal is a big deal. It's important. It comes up again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So there again, you have the seal and the spirit in your heart as a guarantee. This is a big thing. This is important. It comes up again in 2 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So scripture wants us to know, God wants you to know that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that needs to mean something to you. I hope it will by the end of the sermon, maybe more than it has. And Scripture wants you to know that He is the guarantee, and you can experience the assuredness of that guarantee by certain things in your life. He wants you to experience the guarantee that's given to you by the Holy Spirit. But we're looking now at the word seal, and I just want to tell you, that same word used four times by Paul, we just read them all, is used eight times by John in the book of Revelation. So you remember in the book of Revelation where there's a seal, there's a seal on their forehead, there's a seal on them, there's a marker, there's a seal on them. That seal is this seal. At least that's my view. That seal is John in a vision seeing what in real life you can't really see. John in the vision could see who has the Holy Spirit. John in his vision could see a mark on them that indicated they're believers, they're true followers, they have the seal, but there's no exact correspondence with real life. There's not a time when people are actually going to wear a sign on their head, in my opinion. Rather, this is saying John is portraying in apocalyptic terms what, it, what Paul explains in doctrinal terms here. You have a seal. John's able to see it. Are you following that? All right. Whether you agree with it or not, just so you follow it. That's good. So we're going to head there, but first, let's just take a little bit, and let's back up and talk about the Holy Spirit, because this is about the Holy Spirit, and it's cool. In Ephesians 1, you have what God the Father does, and then the phrase, to the praise of His glory, and then you have what God the Son does, and then the phrase, to the praise of the glory of His grace, and then what God the Spirit does, and then to the praise of His glory. You have Father, Son, Spirit, praise, praise, praise. So, so we're in the part now that's about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we want to talk about him a little bit. A great Christian author named J.I. Packer in one of his books has called the Holy Spirit the Cinderella of the Trinity. The Cinderella, the ignored third member, the kind of overlooked third member. Unless you're charismatic, then he's overlooked then it's overdone. But in our circles, it tends to be ignored. But it's not really our circles. It's in Scripture. In Scripture, there's way more about the Father and His glory. There's way more about the Son, the Lamb, and His glory. And there's very little comparatively about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is kind of the Cinderella of the Trinity in the Word of God. So let's just take a little bit 
of time and discover, rediscover some that we need to think about, about the Holy Spirit. First, I want to mention general terms about the Holy Spirit. He is God. You need to know that. We're Trinitarian. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being. So God the Holy Spirit is God. How do we know that from Scripture? Well, in Acts chapter, let me get the right chapter for, for sure, 5, there was this couple who wanted praise. There was this couple who wanted admiration and who were willing to lie to get it. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. And they sold a piece of property and said to the church, here's all the money we got for that piece of property. Here it is. But the Spirit of God revealed to Peter that, no, actually they held some back and they were lying because they wanted man's praise. And Peter says to them, you have not lied. He said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. So we know from that passage that the Holy Spirit is God. We also know that the Holy Spirit is God from the Trinitarian formula as it appears, for example, in Matthew chapter 28 in Jesus' great commission, baptizing them in the name, one definite article, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's one name. You don't put my name in that list. You don't put your name in that list, but you have the name of God the Father, God the Son, and so God the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we see the Holy Spirit as God because in Scripture, so many passages would point this out, he possesses divine attributes, things that you and I don't have, only God has. For example, he's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's sovereign. Furthermore, we see in Scripture the Holy Spirit is God because he performs the works of God. He's part of the Godhead at creation. He performs the work of God in regeneration. It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates believing sinners. So the Holy Spirit is God. just want you to know that. He's not something God created. He's not a force. He's not an it. Not an it. You can't grieve an it. And the scripture we read said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. He's a personal being or personal, yes, being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he's God. Let me also, we'll put this up at the slide. Let me give you a sneak peek of some of the ministries the Spirit um, performs. So the Holy Spirit convicts, he illuminates, he regenerates. He indwells, baptizes, fills, gifts, comforts, produces fruit, helps, helps us keep God's commands specifically, sanctifies, intercedes, and now seals. So the Holy Spirit does a lot in your life. The Holy Spirit is very important in his involvement in your life. You remember we talked a few weeks back about the economy of the Trinity. The economy doesn't mean the Father has a little cash and the Son has a little cash too. The economy comes from a Greek word, oikonomia, which means the household arrangement. So just as in a household, you say, this member does that, and this member does that, and this member takes care of that. So there's a household arrangement in the Trinity, and the Father does this. And these overlap, these interpenetrate one another, but the Father plans decrees. The son procures. He's the lamb. He's the one who died on the cross. Father didn't die on the cross, and the spirit didn't die on the cross. And the Holy Spirit, what does he do? 
He's the one who delivers to you all the benefits of Jesus' cross work. He's the one who applies all the benefits of redemption to God's people. So he's the one that convicts you of your sin and illuminates you to the gospel so you believe and regenerates and gives you a new heart, and then he indwells you and so on and so forth. Anything and everything you experience coming from the cross of Christ was brought to you by the Holy Spirit. He's very important in your life, though we tend to not notice him. Like you're not aware, oh, that was the Spirit that regenerated me. Oh, that was the Spirit that filled me. We tend to not be aware of that. We don't recognize it. But Scripture tells us that's what's going on. So the Holy Spirit is God, and His ministry in your life is very, very important. Very important. Now we're going to close in on our text a little more. We did a little general stuff on the Holy Spirit there. Now we're going to return to our text, and I want to go to this word promised. Could you go back to the text again, please, O slide man? Thank you. And it says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The promised. We're going to hold on that word for a little bit. The promised Holy Spirit. He was promised. And Paul makes a point of that in several of these passages. He's the promised Holy Spirit. Where is he promised? By whom was he promised? When was he promised? He's promised a lot in the Old Testament by the prophets. He's promised a number of times in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. He's promised. And the, the Scriptures make a big deal of this. He's really promised and promised and promised and promised, which again adds up to what? It means what you have now received is something really amazing because it was promised and promised and promised and promised and promised and promised and promised, and you live in the time when you receive the promise. And that's supposed to make you say, blessed be God. I don't live in David's time. I don't live in Abraham's time. I don't live in Malachi's time. I live in the days of the new covenant where we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you some of the promises. A couple of Old Testament ones. Ezekiel 36, 27. God is talking about in the days of the new covenant, here's what I'll do in every new covenant member. In the Old Covenant, some of them were saved and some weren't. In the Old Covenant, some of them had the Spirit and some didn't. But in the New Covenant, they'll all have the Holy Spirit. He says in Ezekiel 36, I will put my Spirit within you. What will the effect of that be? And will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So there's the promise. I will put my Spirit in you. He will have effects. He'll cause you to be obedient children. Or Joel 2.28 in the Old Testament, he's foretelling the days of the new covenant. He's foretelling the days when Jesus ascends to the Father and sends the Holy Spirit. And Joel 2.28 says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Pour implies that in the old covenant days there was a drip, not a pour. But there's a day coming when it's going to be poured All peoples implies it was mainly just a few peoples in one little nation in the Old Covenant. But in the days of the New Covenant, it'll be earthwide. It'll be every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. I will pour greater intensity on all peoples, greater breadth, greater extension. So that's the promise as it is in Joel. Let's look at a few of the promises where Jesus promised the Spirit. It's got to be important. The prophets 
tell us about it. Jesus tells us about it. John 7, 37 and following, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit. So if you're a believer, you can sing the song, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Who wants to sing it for us? Where's Joe Kilborn when we need her? She'll do it. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Whoever believes in me has that river. And this means this is about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not glorified. So we're going to receive the Spirit when Jesus is glorified. The ministry of the Holy Spirit changes. It intensifies. It gets more powerful. It broadens on the day of Pentecost, at the beginning of the church era. Jesus hints at this in John 14, verse 16 and following. If you love me, 15 and following, pardon me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's how we'll see your love. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who's that? Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Now, let me talk about that for a minute. This is how I think you ought to understand this, and I got this from the great Puritan pastor, John Owen. It was very illuminating to me. What does it mean, with you? He's with you, but he shall be in you. John Owen says you need to start here and, and remember that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's already everywhere. He, he's occupying every bit of space that there is. He's everywhere. So when it says the Holy Spirit is with you, it doesn't mean he doesn't occupy the space inside of where you are. He does. He occupies all space. And when it says he'll be with you, it doesn't mean he's going to be somewhere where he wasn't before. Now, he was already everywhere. So what does this mean? And I think the best explanation is that God is accommodating his explanation of this to our human understanding. He's likening it to something that's with you and then becomes in you. What it means is you had some of his power, you're going to have more. You have the power of one who is with you, you're going to have the power of one who is, think of it this way, in you. What it means is the spirit who's already everywhere is going to exercise far greater power in you if you're a new covenant child of God. He's with you, but he shall be in you. You all look like you're, hmm, all right, think about that one. John 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. That, I believe, is a localized command to the apostles and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You and I have not heard him say anything to us. They had. This is a promise. They'll get it right when they remember what he said and write scripture. But it's the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. After Jesus was crucified, I'm going to run through these fast. Slide man, don't try and follow me. I'm going to kind of skip them here. Uh, before Jesus ascended, he told them, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts 1.8, you receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There will be power. You'll be my witnesses. So here's what we need to understand. When, when our text says, you have the promised Holy Spirit. You need to understand, there was quite a buildup to this because it's a big thing. You don't make a big buildup, promise, 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 Old Testament, promise, promise, New Testament, promise, promise, Jesus, and it's just a little piddly thing. 
No, it's, it's, there's a big buildup, means this is really a big thing. And what's the big thing? There's going to be a way more powerful work of the Holy Spirit and followers of Christ, and there's going to be a way broader outpouring of, this, of the Spirit of Christ on all peoples. We live in a different era. Let me give you one little application of that right there. This is why in living your life, struggling with temptation and falling into it, you must not compare yourself to David and say, well, David did that too. And he was a man after God's heart. So it's okay if I, you must not compare yourself to Abraham who had too many wives. Well, Abraham said, so okay. if I have too many wives, it's okay. You don't live in their era. You live in the days of the new covenant with a far greater, far more powerful presence of the Holy Spirit working in your soul to cause you to walk in God's commandments. There's yet a day coming when there will be an even greater power and you'll be locked in a tractor beam of God's grace to never, 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 ever think a sinful thought again for eternity. You'll be locked in holiness by the grace of God. So that'll be an even greater work of the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're here in the already but not yet. We already have some of it that was promised, 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 but we not yet have all of it that's gonna come. So don't compare yourself. It's like comparing yourself to people in heaven. How come not, I'm not as holy as them? Well, you're not locked by God's grace into holiness yet. Well, how come I can't be as bad as them in the Old Testament? <laughs> because you have way more of the power of the Holy Spirit in you than they did. And there's a way greater breadth of the Holy Spirit. So all that to say, don't compare yourself to Abraham. Don't compare yourself to David. Don't compare yourself Name the old, a failing Old Testament saint. Fill in the blanks. All right? Somebody say, all right, make me happy. Oh, I love you guys. Thank you. So here's a question for you before we go on. Did the Old Testament believers have the Holy Spirit? Did the Old Testament believers have the Holy Spirit? I believe the correct answer, and I'm not standing alone in this by any means. I believe the correct answer is yes. They had ministries of the Holy Spirit performed upon them. They had to, or not one of them would have ever believed. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. How do you get undead from your trespasses and sins? The Spirit of God gives you new life. And the old covenant, not everybody in the covenant had that new life. The new covenant's different. Everybody in the covenant has that new life. They'll all be regenerated. But new covenant or old, regeneration came from the Holy Spirit. And with or in greater or lesser power working in you, either way, they had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminated their understanding of the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit empowered them, but with a lesser power than we experience now and will experience them. They had the Holy Spirit. That's why David can say, after he realized his, the horrors of his sin with Bathsheba and her noble husband Uriah, this is why he could say, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David knew he had the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his soul. So yes, Old Covenant believers, believers had the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin, illuminating them to God's word, regenerating them so they'll repent and believe, empowering them to follow Christ. Then again, what's the difference between then and now? It's a difference of power. And it's a difference of breadth. So, that's, a, that's the promised Holy Spirit. All right, now let's move on in our verse a little bit. We're getting to the part you want. 
Let's look again at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And there it says, you were sealed. Hmm. All right, that'll work. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We want to talk about sealed and guarantee. We want to understand those. There's some juice in those. We want to squeeze it out. So what does it mean? What is the seal? And how does having the Holy Spirit serve as a guarantee? That's a slide. Sorry, slide man. I'm bouncing around on you. What is the seal? And how does the, having the Holy Spirit serve as a guarantee? What does that mean? Let's talk about the seal. What is the seal? It's a cool Greek word. It's sfragizo. Sounds like a frog. Sfragizo. It's used 15 times in the New Testament, as I mentioned earlier. Eight of them are in the book of Revelation where John saw they had a seal on them. They had a seal. This is the seal. This is what John was enabled to see, though it's not really a visible thing in real life. Sfragizo means to mark with a seal that designates ownership. When you're sealed, it means somebody owns you. It's like when Jesus was laid in the tomb and they sealed it, what did that mean? This belongs to Rome, don't you mess. Owned by Rome, that's what that seal meant. And your seal means owned by God. That's why it's such a great blessing. God has put a seal on you and it says, you're mine. You have a seal that says, I'm owned by God. I'm his possession. You have that seal. Remember how John sees it. It's interesting. Let me read you one of those. It's not a slide. Revelation 7, 3. John sees a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. That's one of eight times John sees a seal. What's he seeing? There's the one that's owned by God. There's one that's owned by God. There's one that's owned by God. They've got his seal. He possesses them. In real life, the seal of the Holy Spirit is invisible. But in John's vision, in his apocalyptic vision, he can see who has the seal and who has the other sign or mark on them, 666. Who's owned by God? Who's on which team? God's team and the devil's team, the beast's team. So right now, if we had John's apocalyptic eyes and could look around this room right now, we'd see seals on people. We'd see on some people, there's a seal. It's, it's the stamp of God that says, I own that one. And we see other people who have a 666 on their head and it's, I'm following the beast. I'm rejecting Christ and I'm following the beast. Everybody on the planet has that seal. If you could be like in matrix land or something, take the red pill and you walk around and you see you know, what's going on behind the scenes. You'd see everybody's got a 666 or a I belong to God on their forehead. In real life, we don't see that. We only see it in the apocalypse, which is not real life. And the seal is not only a sign of ownership, but it also means they will persevere. It, it speaks of God keeping them. I own them and I keep them. It's like when Jesus said, you're in my hand and I'm in the Father and no one can pluck them out of the Father's hand. He owns you. He possesses you. He gives you perseverance. You keep on believing and you keep on repenting. So being sealed means having a mark 
which really means the Holy Spirit seals you. He marks you. You belong to God. And how long does the seal last? How long is it good for? Until the day of redemption. All who get sealed stay sealed till the second coming. All who receive this mark, the Holy Spirit in them, marking them as God's possession, stay God's possession till the last day and throughout eternity. You, until you die or until Jesus comes. So that's the seal. Now you're supposed to say, bless God. I'm one of those. I have that. Like, okay, maybe, maybe I don't have a newer car. Maybe I don't have a nice house. Maybe I don't have a great job. Maybe, maybe I'm not six foot seven and 275 pounds of nothing but muscle. Maybe I'm not, you fill in the list, what you'd like to be and you're not. Maybe I'm not, but goodness, brother and sister in Christ, you have the mark of God upon your soul. He owns you. He will not let you go. It's promised till the day of redemption. It's kind of hard to beat that. It's kind of hard to compare. Like, you're going to be grumpy and say, yeah, but I don't have the car I want. You're going to be grumpy? Yeah, but I don't have, you fill in the blank that you're grumping about. Get rid of the grumpy. You have the seal. What else on the earth, what else on the planet do you want? What would you trade that in on? Here, you can have my seal if I can just have those cool new shoes. No, you have the seal. It lasts to the day of redemption, brother and sister in Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let's go on to the word guarantee. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's the guarantee. This is the best part, in my opinion. It's even better than the seal. You have a guarantee. It's the Greek word arabone. It's used only three times in the New Testament. It means there is an initial installment. There's a down payment. Excuse me. There is earnest money. It's like somebody is buying real life. Somebody's buying something from, well, that's real life too, but in normal, non-spiritual life, somebody's buying something from you. They don't have all the cash yet. You say, well, give me a down payment. They give you 100 bucks. You say, okay. All right, I'll keep it for you. It's a down payment. It's earnest money. You have a down payment or a guarantee. The, the money you put down means, I guarantee you, I'll be back with the rest. I guarantee it. And he's saying, you have a guarantee. You have a guarantee of your inheritance. God has put down earnest money. What's the guarantee? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee, your earnest payment, your down payment, that God's going to come and purchase the rest of the possession at the last day. He's going to take possession of you fully at the last day. He's going to eradicate sin from you. He's going to glorify you. He's going to finish all the work of redemption. And you have a guarantee that that's going to happen. How do I? Here's the important question. How do I get to feel that guarantee? Like if, if I'm selling you my truck and you give me 100 bucks, I can feel the guarantee. I got it. That guarantees me you're probably coming back. You don't want to lose your 100 bucks. How do I, as a believer, experience the the strength and the power of the guarantee so that it means something to me? Well, here's how. You can't see the Holy Spirit. He's invisible. 
But what can you see? His works. His works in you. When you see that thing in my life is a clear example of the presence of the Holy Spirit in me, that's giving you guarantee. In these days when the Holy Spirit is poured out on believers, the effects are large. Let me tell you some of the main effects. Here's how you can tell if you're a child of God. This will guarantee you of your inheritance. Like I, I know I've believed, and primarily if you believe, then you should have assurance you're a believer. But there are also false believers in the New Testament. People who arrive at the last day and Jesus says, they say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, no, I never knew you. So how do I know if I'm the real deal? Well, you look for the effects of the Holy Spirit in your life. What are some of the primary effects? Here's the biggest one. There are new loves inside of me. You've heard me talk about this before. There are new loves. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you mourn when you don't love him as much as you should. And you love his kingdom, and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you love the word of God. You've received what Paul calls to the Thessalonians, they have received the, the love of the truth, or those people had not received the love of the truth. You have new loves. This is at the heart loves of, of the whole thing. How can you tell a believer from a non-believer? It's what they love. They love the kingdom of God. They love the things of God. They love the Lord Jesus. They love God's word. Jeremiah 31 makes it clear. This is one of the key signs. He says, I'll give you a new heart. Well, what do you do with hearts? You love things. And I will write my law on their what? Heart. They'll love God's word. They'll love God's law. There are new loves inside of me. Man, I remember this. You know, I had one of those night and day conversions. You all didn't. That's fine. You don't have to have that but I'm one who did. And like, say, today's the day of my conversion. Yesterday, I loved all the wrong things, and all of a sudden today, I love all the right things. <laughs> Where did that come from? How did that happen? Well, this is the, the guarantee. I could look at that and say, wow, there is a work of grace performed in my soul. Wow, I am a new creature in Christ. It's a guarantee. Here's another part of the guarantee. There's a powerful, a powerful Abba, Father, inside of me. You look at Romans 8, 15 and 16 on your own, and that's the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. That's the guarantee. Every time you go, oh, Father, and maybe it's in a moment of repenting of what you just did. Every time you go, oh, Father, what is that? That's the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit. He's giving you the guarantee. See, you are the real deal because you have the Abba in your soul. You cry, Father. And here's another way you can know the Holy Spirit by his effects. Here's another way he gives you the guarantee. There's fruit growing all over you. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is no fruit of the Spirit, hmm, maybe no regeneration. God's the judge, not mine. I'm not the fruit inspector. But how can I know? How can I experience the guarantee? Every time I see fruit born on me, I go, wow, I wasn't like that forever before I was saved. And now that really matters to me, and it's really being produced in me imperfectly. Please hear that I said that. Imperfectly, falteringly, repentingly, sometimes pathetically, but it is being produced. 
Some of the chief fruit is you keep on believing and you keep on repenting. And there's power to identify and stay identified with Christ. Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. That doesn't mean witnesses like you're going to go out door to door and knock on doors and witness. That'd be fine. But what it means is if they stick a gun to your head and say, do you believe on that Savior? You will witness and say, yes, shoot me. There's power to stick with Jesus Christ. So that's how the Holy Spirit gives you your down payment, your guarantee. That's how you feel it. You see his powerful effects in your soul. I have new loves. There's an Abba inside of me. There's fruit growing on me. And there's power to identify with Christ no matter what. So that's the guarantee, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. And now I want to take you to the, this will be the last slide, oh, slide man. Uh, 114b says, to the praise of his glory. Let me remind you, earlier in the chapter, you have the work of the Father, then in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Then the work of the Son, then in verse 11, to the praise of his glory. Now the work of the Holy Spirit, then in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Everything that God the Father does, everything that God the Son does, and everything that God the Holy Spirit does, he does for his glory. It's a theocentric universe, and it's all about God showing, revealing for our adoring wonder, for our amazement, revealing his glory to us, especially through redemption and his grace and pardon and salvation. So now, I'm a little sad to say, we have concluded the 202 words. Some of you are like, finally, let's go on. No, actually, none of you have been that way. You've all been egging me on, like, go slow, Pastor Steve. So blame them if you don't, if you don't like it. So what's this all about? Paul wants you to live an extraordinary life. God wants you to. He wants you to experience and live in what Peter describes as joy unspeakable and full of glory. He wants you right there. And when you're there, you'll be saying, blessed be God. And tomorrow, blessed be God. And the day after, blessed be God. No matter what's going on, blessed be God. Bad stuff happens, blessed be God. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you live with blessing because you reckon on these great things God has given you, like the one today, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, the down payment, the Araban, the guarantee of your inheritance. If you're in Christ, you are blessed. If you're not, it's easy. Come to the Lord Jesus. Believe on him and be saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this portion of your word. And we pray for people listening in the room and people listening elsewhere that you would pour out the Holy Spirit of redemption and that they would be drawn by the power of God, that they would be drawn to the cross, that they would be drawn to believe on the Lord Jesus. Give eyes to see, give ears to hear, put new life in hearts, draw people to Jesus Christ. Many of us, you've drawn, we're believers. Oh, thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit Thank you for the promised spirit, our down payment, our guarantee, our seal. We pray that you would teach us to live blessing you. 
to live with joy unspeakable and full of glory. For we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.